clock strikes here, it's always Halloween. And I'm always your haunted host, Luce Tomlin Brenner. Today I'm brushing off the final bits of candy wrappers and putting away most of my Halloween decorations. Yes, of course, some stay up all year round, duh. My Halloween hangover is finally subsiding, and I can finally move into the next phase of my year, which is counting down until next Halloween. To aid us all in our preparations for Halloween 2021, I will be presenting chapters on the various creatures we celebrate, decorate with, and costume ourselves as. Over the next several weeks, we will be learning about how skeletons became linked with Halloween. On this journey, we'll also discover how skeletons are forever linked with our ancient fear of death, the seed from which Halloween so viciously sprung. In autumn, the days get shorter, darker, and chillier. Trees lose their leaves, plants and flowers die, and many animals migrate or hibernate. The Earth's natural cycles of death, transformation, and rebirth are at the root of Samhain festivals. As I've said many times before, our fear of and fascination with death connects us all. In my research, I have yet to find a culture that doesn't honor their dead with some type of ritual or celebration. However, many cultures have developed festivals around the belief that the dead are not some terrifying supernatural other, but rather our loving ancestors who are always with us. Listen to our episodes on Dia de los Muertos and Festivals of the Dead for more on that. I personally take joyful comfort in those beliefs. As someone who grew up across the street from a cemetery and spent countless hours playing, riding my bike, and just hanging out there, I've always found these spaces to be peaceful and lovely. But I have to admit that I've also found them kind of creepy in a my-brain-is-rotted-by-horror-movies-and-Stephen-King-novels kind of way. I find it hard to shake my conviction that if I stand directly over a grave, a rotted hand is definitely going to shoot up from beneath the earth and drag me down before my time. When I analyze that fear, it's pretty obvious that I'm not actually scared of death or dead people or graveyards. I'm scared of dying, especially in a melodramatic way involving a corpse, but mostly just dying. But skeletons are just bones. They're our bones. Look, I don't want to freak you out, but you have a skeleton in you right now. They're ubiquitous. So why are skeletons so scary? The skeleton or skull has long been used as a universal symbol that represents mortality, illness, danger, and death. When a person is living, Their bones are a support mechanism that holds together the flesh of the human body. After death, the skeletal remains are all that's left of the human who once lived. It's impossible to see a skeleton without acknowledging the death that brought it there. In the first two episodes of the podcast, we traced the origins of Halloween back to the Celts, 
a vast collection of tribes with origins stretching from Turkey across the Mediterranean and Central Europe to Spain, France, and the British Isles. The Celts shared languages, religious beliefs, traditions, and art that spanned more than a dozen centuries. We've also learned that the Romans demolished their populations and culture, leaving only those Celts they couldn't quite reach in the British Isles. Those are the Celts who brought a Samhain, which morphed over time into the Halloween we celebrate today. It's hard to get an accurate depiction of the Celts only because they didn't leave a written record of their own. We mostly have to go off the wartime propaganda of Greeks and Romans. I've spent a lot of time going through articles trying to find out if Celts actually made human sacrifices or if that was just played-up horror writing from the conquerors who benefited from highlighting them as savages. This type of reframing has been used over and over again throughout history, most recently in modern American history when European colonizers and later Americans benefited from calling indigenous people and enslaved Africans savages. In 20 BCE, ancient Greek historian Strabo wrote about Celts sacrificing people and displaying the skulls of those killed above doorways in their homes, which is obviously very cool, but it's also hard to verify. Likewise, a story about Celts stringing up the heads of their enemies and hanging the rope of heads around their horse's neck. Can you imagine a sweet little pony with a skull necklace? <laughs> what a Malgoth. Seriously, though, this is all pretty brutal if it happened. There are some accounts of Celts decorating their Samhain festivals with skulls, which would make them the original Halloween decoration. Sorry, orange garbage bag full of leaves designed to look like a jack-o'-lantern. You lose this round. We do know the word bonfire is a more neighborly version of the phrase bonefire because Celts did used to throw animal bones into their Samhain festival fires. Could the skulls of their enemies have been in there too? Without writings from the Celts, I feel pretty skeptical about this conjecture. When the written word fails us, however, archaeology can come to the rescue. While we don't have any solid proof of how ancient Samhain festivals were decorated, we do know some Celts did seem to participate in human sacrifices thanks to bog bodies. That's right, I said bog bodies. According to sciencehistory.org, human remains have been turning up in the peat bogs of Denmark, the Netherlands, Ireland, the United Kingdom, Northern Germany, and occasionally North America for hundreds of years. Now, I'm going to get a little sciencey for a moment, but don't let your eyes glaze over. You're driving or parenting or shaving something that does not want to be nicked. Plus, this is so wild, it's worth it. Bog bodies are sometimes outrageously well-preserved. 8,000-year-old bog bodies can be in much better condition than the carefully prepared mummies of ancient Egypt. This kind of preservation requires special conditions, though. First off, it's gotta stay chilly. 
A moss bog has to have a temperature lower than 39 degrees Fahrenheit when the body is deposited in the bog, and then an average annual temperature lower than 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And that bog must stay wet all year round, no dry bogs. The best preserved bodies have been found in colder bogs, closer to the sea. Colder temperatures alone are not what makes these preservations, however. The moss itself actually changes the chemistry of the water it lives in, making the water highly acidic. As the floating mosses die, they build up these layers at the bottom of the bog. And then these decaying mosses release sugars and humic acids into the water, which consume oxygen. With the surface blocked by live moss, the water becomes completely anaerobic, which is free of oxygen. Under these conditions, human tissues cannot decay. Instead, they tan like leather. Skin will turn brown, hair turns red, and objects in or around the body dissolve, as does most clothing. If you think bog bodies sound rad as hell, you are correct. I'm going to link to several articles in the show notes for you to check out. There's some really cool pictures in there. But first, what can bog bodies tell us about Celts and human sacrifice? Let's look to the Lindau Man, a 2,000-year-old bog body discovered in the Lindau Bog in England in the 1980s. Despite the age of his body, the incredible preservation makes it clear that when he died, he had manicured fingernails as well as finely trimmed hair and beard. In contrast to the more rugged and wild look of the Celts, this could suggest that he may have been of high status, possibly a Druid. Druids were the highest ranked members of Celtic society and they filled many roles. They're often touted as religious leaders, which is true, but they were also philosophers, astronomers, teachers, judges, medical and political advisors, and storytellers. Some studied and trained for 20 years. Druids were said to believe that the soul was immortal and it could be passed at death from one person to another. When Greeks and Romans wrote about Celts, it was the Druids who were said to oversee these horrific acts of human sacrifice. As if Romans weren't participating in daily blood sports at the Colosseum. Writing stuff down doesn't give you the moral high ground, Greco-Romans. In a 2009 National Geographic article, Miranda Aldhouse Green, an archaeologist at Cardiff University in Wales and an expert on the Druids, talks about how the incredible preservation of the Lindau man is a window into his death. The description I'm about to give is a bit yikes, so sensitive listeners may want to skip ahead. Recent studies have revealed that the Lindau man's head had been violently smashed and his neck had been strangled and slashed. A theory is that he was a victim of a threefold death, a common death of kings, heroes, and gods in Celtic and Greek mythology, in which one victim dies simultaneously in three ways. Aldhouse Green says, quote, 
You've got a rope tightened around his neck, and at the moment where the neck was constricted, the throat was cut, which would have caused an enormous fountain of blood to rise up through the air. That definitely does sound pretty ritualistic and extremely showboaty. The Lindau man's stomach contents shows that he was killed in late winter or early spring. While that's after Samhain, it might line up with the spring Celtic festival of Beltane, which was usually held on May 1st, but it was also held in times of great danger, such as during the Roman invasion. The Lindau man's death is dated around 60 CE, when the Romans launched a new offensive in the island of Great Britain. According to Aldhouse Green, he may have been sacrificed to persuade the Celtic gods to halt the Roman advance. So did Celts introduce the practice of decorating for Halloween with skulls and skeletons by sacrificing noblemen to the gods? That fact remains unclear, but archaeology does suggest that Celts did participate in human sacrifices similar to the ones written about by the Greeks and Romans. But did they actually nail the skulls of their enemies up in their homes? That might be a bit of enemy hyperbole. So when did skeletons and skulls officially become Halloween decor? Well, that, dear listeners, will be revealed in time, but not today. If there's something specific you want to learn about skeletons or Halloween in general, call into the All Hallows hotline at 802-532-DEAD or write me an eek mail at itsalwayshalloweenpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on our Instagram page at itsalwayshalloweenpodcast. There you'll find all kinds of Halloween recommendations as well as all the visuals that correspond to each episode. You can also find us on Patreon. I'm offering five delicious candy tiers inspired by the joys of trick-or-treating. I'm offering bonus content like newsletters, ghost stories, and spooky movie nights. If you love It's Always Halloween, please consider subscribing. I intend to use Patreon to enhance the podcast and to create a compendium of horror and Halloween resources. Your support means more time for me to create more material for you. You can find us at patreon.com slash it's always Halloween. It's always Halloween is researched, written, and performed by me, Luce Tomlin Brenner. The editing, theme music, and sound design is by Pete Burns. Thanks, Pete. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at LTB Comedy and Pete at Mittenberries. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and write us a little review so that other like-minded ghouls can find us. We're also on the NPR One app, so subscribe to us there and tell Ira Glass that you love us. Thanks so much for listening to It's Always Halloween, and come back next time, unless the bog bodies get you.